0: The relationship between religion, imperialism, and national identity can be quite complex. At the same time, nationalist readings of history, particularly when they are combined with other ideological perspectives, can easily provide reductionist narratives that do not do full justice to these complicated realities. The history of Catholicism in Vietnam is a case in point, as nationalist and communist histories tend to present the Catholic Church as the friend of French colonialism, with Catholic apologists defending their church's role in Vietnamese history in accordance with nationalist standards. In his book, Catholic Vietnam, A Church from Empire to Nation, published by University of California Press, Berkeley in 2012, Dr. Charles Keith challenges such overly simple narratives by tracing the transformation in the Catholic Church in Vietnam from the pre-colonial through the colonial to the post-liberation periods, ending in approximately 1954. For instance, through his careful, rich, and detailed study, Keith shows how Vietnamese Catholics could remain Catholic while being at times pro-colonial, anti-colonial, pro-left, anti-communists, and other places within and without these labels as their community transformed from a colonial to a national church. Thus, Keith's study is well worth a read for anyone interested in Vietnamese history or the history of Christianity. I hope you'll enjoy the interview. Hello everyone, and welcome back to New Books in Christian Studies. I'm Dr. Franklin Rausch of Lander University, the host of the channel. Today we'll be talking to Dr. Charles Keith about his new book, Catholic Vietnam, A Church from Empire to Nation. Charles, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much for joining us. So um, as traditional here, I'd like just to begin by asking you to tell us a little about yourself, where you were born, where you went to school, uh, anything you feel comfortable talking about.
1: Sure. Um, Well, I was actually born in France. Uh, My mother's French, um, which, uh, you know, and I grew up in the States, but grew up with the language, with French and, and with an interest in France, a lot of trips back there. So you know, I think that's where my origin, you know, those are the origins of my interest in um, French colonial history. Um, I went to Cornell as an undergraduate, uh, which is one of the hotbeds of Southeast Asian studies. Kind of ironically, I had nothing to do with that when I was there. So it's a, a bit of a of a fake pedigree. Um, and in between school and graduate school, I actually took a trip to Southeast Asia, which... Um, you know, kind of kindled my interest in, in the region. And so I, f- I focused on it in, in graduate school at, at Yale. Well
0: oh, excellent. And so what was it that attracted to you um, to Vietnam particularly? Well, um,
1: you know, I think this, uh, first a general interest in the French colonial empire, which I did spend some time studying in, um, in college, um, obviously as an American uh, interested in history and, you know, one who kind of grew up, came of age in the eighties in the aftermath of the Vietnam war, you know, I, I, as I grew up, I I came to have a a pretty strong curiosity about, um, you know, about the country that stemmed, I think in large part, obviously from, from the war. Um, so, you know, my trip over there, that was kind of the, the main purpose of the trip, even though I went to a bunch of different countries, um, you know, the place I really wanted to see was was Vietnam. Um, and then, you know, when I got there, I spent about a month there. Um, and I just really f- liked the place. You know, I felt comfortable there. It was a, a place that I really felt like I wanted to learn more about. So, you know, beyond this kind of initial interest in the war, which, you know, frankly, I, I teach a lot about the war. But, uh, you know, the, m- my interest in it has, has obviously broadened uh, quite a bit beyond that um, you know, in, in those years. And that, that trip was in 2000. So it's been, you know, I've been going there, you know, pretty regularly for 15 years now. So, um, you know, and I still, uh, I still really like the place, you know, I really, um, love going there. I don't get to go as often as I, as I'd like, but, um, you know, and I think obviously that's important, uh, with a research site. So, um, yeah, so, uh, still, uh, still happy to be going back there when I get the chance.
0: Oh, excellent. And I, I just want to put so and for your th- this book, you've used in English, French and Vietnamese sources. That's Right. right. So that's really um, amazing. I mean, it's it's oftentimes, you know, someone will only use one language. It's great if you can get in two languages, but you've gotten in three.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I had the, I had the benefit of speaking French as a child, so I never had to study French to to really master it. You know, and I guess unlike some native speakers, you know, I did learn to read. I, I read as a kid. So my French was really at a pretty fluent level when I started graduate school. So that allowed me to um, spend some time, well, really a lot of time uh, on Vietnamese, which I started when I when I started graduate school. Actually spent, um, I think, kind of the, the big um, transition point to research capability was a year I spent in Vietnam in 04, 05 on a language study fellowship, uh, thanks to the Blakemore Freeman Foundation. Um, and, yeah, that really kind of put me – I'd been studying for about three years at that point, and that really put me over the edge to where I was really comfortable, um, you know, researching in the language and living there.
0: Oh, excellent, excellent. So we've got then the French part. We've got the Vietnam part. How then do you write a book about Catholic Vietnam? <laughs> It's a good question. Um,
1: you know, my my background is, you know, not really in religious history. And, I'm, you know, maybe we'll talk about this at, at the end. And I'm, I'm not really working on religious history now. My interest in the subject really stemmed from the very you kind know, of the fascinating and complicated and poorly understood role of the Catholic community in modern Vietnamese history, which, you know, as we'll get into during the questions, is – Uh, highly politicized um and kind of poorly understood so in in many ways my interest in 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 the catholic community in vietnam um really stemmed from the fact that that i really felt that exploring their history in a kind of more complex and nuanced way would would be a way to kind of complicate vietnamese history more broadly and um you know in many ways i think this sort of um Two dimensional role of Catholics in Vietnamese history parallels a lot of other poorly understood dimensions of of Vietnamese history, whether religious or, or otherwise. So I think it was uh, you know a, a general sense that studying this subject could really um, uh, you know would really bring a lot of benefit. I think to the field of of Vietnamese history more more broadly. So I didn't come at the subject. From a a sort of a deep pre existing um, interest in religious history. And, you know, arguably, again, we'll probably get at this in the questions, but I think, you know, real scholars of religion reading this book might actually think, well, there's not actually a whole lot of religion in there. There's not a lot of belief. There's not a lot of theology. And I totally take that point. I mean, I think the book is really more kind of cultural and political history of a religious community rather than. religious history as some people might think of it.
0: right. Well, that brings us then to the the introduction of your book. You talked about how there were some problems in how Catholicism is viewed in the history of Vietnam. Could you give us some examples then of, of how Catholics are treated in the histories of Vietnam and how you would help to build upon them? Sure. Well, my sense of this is that um, a lot of
1: the, the kind of the place of Catholicism in modern Vietnamese history and historiography stems from the community's, you know, sort of general opposition to communism, which was of course the most important dimension of the um, Vietnamese revolution. Um, Catholic anti-communism gave rise to, you know, especially during and especially after the war, at least a, a Vietnamese language historiography, which, which parallels sort of broader idea of Catholicism as you know, because it was anti-communism, therefore it was kind of anti-national uh, in some way, and in the most extreme forms, kind of anti-Vietnamese, right? So it's, it rests on this sort of very political idea that communism is sort of the sole legitimate vehicle for Vietnamese nationalist aspirations, and that Catholics, because of their opposition by and large to that, um, were opposed uh, much more fundamentally um, to the idea of Vietnamese independence, um, and you know, I think that's uh, frankly nonsense, uh, and obviously a very politicized way of, of, of thinking about um, the history of Catholicism in Vietnam. Um, it, the so I think that's the, the kind of the main um, origin for for this idea, and then you know, a lot of Western language work on Vietnam was heavily influenced by these kind of nationalist ideas and idioms during the war. So a lot of Western scholars um, generally kind of tended to accept, you know, a sort of softer viewpoint of this as Catholics, um, you know, having very strong kind of international European connections and, you know, Catholicism being something that, you know, had a kind of a fraught relationship with Vietnamese culture and Vietnamese society, even if, um, you know, some of the scholarship didn't take quite so kind of dogmatic a viewpoint as, as um, the communist nationalist historiography in Vietnam did.
0: Right. And so, okay, excellent. So yeah. And that's one thing I thought was really fascinating about your book was this attempt to engage with this kind of historiography and give us this more nuanced um, understanding of how this all works. And that's something I think about my own work and in, in the relationship between Korean nationalism and Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you open then your book with the story of these three Vietnamese Catholic priests. I wonder if you could tell us briefly recap that story and tell us why that story is so important for understanding this more nuanced view. of.
1: Yeah, well, it's, a, it's a fascinating story. Um, and, you know, in brief, it involves the story of three Vietnamese priests who became involved with a kind of an early um, anti-colonial movement um, in the early part of the 20th century. And they followed this uh, famous anti-colonial figure who was, who was not Catholic um, at all. And who um, has since become a kind of a, you know, Vietnamese national hero. So, you know, I found it, I found it fascinating that, um, first of all, that these priests were involved with this movement. And I should say that the the story itself is relatively well-known, although poorly understood. And I, I sort of started with it because it seemed to symbolize a lot of what um, I just talked about as far as the historiography goes. And you see these priests come up in Vietnamese language historiography, and they're generally put forward as an example of, quote-unquote, good Catholics, you know, Catholics who understood the need for national liberation and were willing to participate in these um, uh, in these uh, national liberation movements, anti-colonial movements. Um, so, but for me, what was interesting about this is that the the their reasons for becoming involved in this movement were totally, um, I, I say, unknown and, and poorly understood. And what I discovered when I dug into the episode, in a sense, mirrors a lot of the work that I did in the book. Is that their reasons for being uh, anti-colonial stemmed. Really, from profound uh, and disruptive changes in Catholic life itself, um, specifically some very, very real tensions between the Vietnamese clergy, clergy excuse me, and European missionaries, and the, and the really changing relationship um, between uh, European Catholics and Vietnamese Catholics at this time, really you know, profound changes in Catholic uh, institutional life. Um, so some of these changes that are really at the heart of the books kind of early chapters. So this dimension of it, uh, I think is, is kind of poorly understood. Vietnamese tend to think, well, you know, these, um, you know, these priests, of course they were anti-national or sort of anti-colonial. The good Catholics were, and then the bad Catholics were, were not right. Uh, and I think, uh, thinking of it in that way sort of misses the point, right. To really understand why these priests did what they did and, Acted the way they did, you have to kind of get into the the history of the community much more deeply than um people have to this point
0: right it's interesting I don't know enough about it, but this this reminds me of of one of the the incident of in the Philippines in the nineteenth century where you had these three nationalist priests who who get executed right um and uh it's it's much more complex than right than, than it, at first it seems sure well
1: you know that that actually brings up a, a you know a, a book one book that um I don't know, you know, I don't know if you, it, it, that I admire a lot is Iledo's um, uh, book, Passion and Revolution, right? And this sort of tells this story of, um, you know, essentially how Christian idioms and stories and traditions could be, you know, very compatible with a kind of nationalist, anti-colonial sentiment, right? Um, and, you know, he did this in a kind of, very deep almost anthropological way that that I really admire and that I felt was deeply lacking um, in the Vietnamese historiography now I didn't approach the subject at all in the same way that that he did but I think the sort of the spirit of the two books are, are similar
0: right so um you begin then you, you 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 set up you've set up things very well in the introduction showing how this is going to be a very complex story and you begin looking at the um, the Catholic Church during a kind of time of transition um, before the French have come to power in Vietnam. So could you tell us a little bit about what was that church like before the French come to power?
1: Sure. Well, it's, it's hard to answer quickly because it has a very long history, but I guess what I would say is, is this, Um, you know, from the origins of, of the sort of the arrival of the religion to Vietnam in the late 16th century um, until the early 19th century, you know, you have like anywhere else in Asia, episodes of conflict between kind of political authority and the religion. Um, but by and large, the history of those 200 or so years are really a history of, uh, you know, conflict and tension is, is much more isolated than people imagine, you know, and the religion becomes a kind of a small, um, but kind of well integrated part of society, especially in Northern Vietnam, um, uh, now, things start to really change in the early 19th century because of basically a sort of revitalized, modernizing imperial project in Vietnam. This is when the territory of Vietnam is basically um, unified. It's kind of two warring kingdoms. Uh, there's there's a war and the territory is unified and the, the victorious uh, ruling house essentially embarks on a, a state building project that has some very strong ideological Confucian components. Um, so the, the church at the time is seen as, um, a kind of a threat to this in a way that other Vietnamese dynasties didn't really necessarily view it. Right. So by mid century, you add the French dimension and the French are kind of increasing their influence in the region. Um, and this is basically, uh, this mixture produces, um, I think what one historian described as an intractable conflict, right. where um, essentially growing French intervention in the region gets um, this dynasty increasingly um, kind of concerned with Catholicism and repressive of Catholicism, Um, anti-Catholic edicts and actions result in, um, you know, the Catholic community becoming, uh, you know, even more sort of politically opposed to the rule of this Vietnamese dynasty and connected to, Growing French influence, so um, when the French finally intervene, a lot of Catholics fight on the side of the French. So this this is often seen in the historiography that I've discussed as a kind of evidence of a pro-colonial uh, mindset among Vietnamese Catholics. And you know, I think it's important to think of it more as um, a sort of kind of logical. Political decision, you know, in a period of time when the Vietnamese dynasty was uh, in power, the Nguyen dynasty was being highly repressive of the Catholic community. Um, Lots of other groups in Vietnamese society at the time, um, I think, had the same relationship with the Nguyen dynasty and made the same decision um, to kind of fight alongside the French against the Nguyen dynasty. But it was a sort of fateful decision for. Catholics, because it definitely, you know, in large part because of their religion, um, sort of tarred them with the, uh, with the epithet of kind of pro-colonial. And I think, you know, very quickly, as we'll discuss in a minute, um, you know, the relationship of Catholics to the colonial project became, you know, very complicated, and I think just as fraught as um, any other community in, in Vietnam. So Catholics didn't enjoy any sort of special privilege, uh, under french colonial rule and they weren't really uh they their their views on colonialism didn't really differ that markedly from any other community in in vietnam
0: right and it it sounds and i think that's fascinating because it sounds kind of counterintuitive that a you know catholic power come comes into vietnam in the form of france and that doesn't help them right in many ways so so what kind of transformations are going on then when the french come to power
1: well you know another book that uh really influenced this one. Um, In fact, when I started graduate school, it was really kind of the book that I wanted to write, but somebody beat me to it. It's a book called An Empire Divided by um, James P. Doughton at Stanford. It's a much more kind of French colonial approach to church state relations and to the the role of the church in the empire. But, you know, his major insight was the French empire expanded in the late 19th century, precisely at the moment when French politics was becoming really anti-clerical, um, really beginning in the 1880s, really through, you know, until World War II, most French regimes had a complicated and, 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 and fraught relationship with the Catholic Church. Now, this is a time of, you know, similar kind of nation building enterprise in France that seeks to really exclude the church from um, many of the kind of positions of influence that it had in public life to that point in France. Right. So, you know, t- France is obviously, you know, a, a, a Catholic power in some sense, but in, in important senses, it really was not. It was actually in some ways a kind of anti-Catholic power. So the relationship between French missionaries and the French colonial state um, is very complicated and often really very bad at the very beginning of French rule in, in Vietnam. And this is a kind of a reality to colonial politics that I think lots of scholars of colonialism have just missed completely. And they just assumed that um, you know France was generally supportive of um, the missionary enterprise in its empire, when in reality it, it was not. Right. So this is a big part of the story.
0: Right, and, and just as an aside, that the um, the book you mentioned by Dot and I use that a lot yeah. in my own work. Very great, good book. Great book.
1: Yeah, it's a great book.
0: So that then brings us to your second chapter, a colonial church divided, because it's it's not this kind of simple. Uh, simple relationship here. So I wonder, could you tell us about what conflicts then exist within the Catholic Church in Vietnam and what causes them? All right, so
1: the first one, I guess, builds on the last point, which is the the conflict between missionaries and the French colonial state. Um, much like in France, you know, there's a well-established missionary presence in Vietnam um, at this time that's in fact growing uh, quite quickly. And much like in France, the the French colonial state initially tries to kind of Counteract the influence of of these missionaries um, you know doing things like excluding them from colonial hospitals and you know essentially the the French educational school system is kind of a parallel kind of competing system to the to to the Catholic school system I mean it's much bigger but the french French administrators view the relationship with missionaries much like French republican officials in France view their re- relationship with the church and it's it's one that's often kind of antagonistic now there is a kind of a um modus vivendi that established that 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 emerges um you know it's not entirely hostile all the time right but the reality is much closer to what's going on in France than it is to this image of um you know missionaries and french colonial authorities as kind of marching um hand in hand waving the flag and kind of unproblematically both supporting the kind of the same enterprise they they weren't on the same team so that's that's conflict number 1 um, I think the bigger conflict that's really at the heart of this book is the growing conflict between Vietnamese Catholics and French Catholics. Um, I mentioned a minute ago that this is a time of enormous missionary expansion. Um, the French conquest of Vietnam allows for a much larger number um, of missionaries to come into, the, into, into Vietnam. They have much greater freedom of movement you know, I mean, they can, they can, they can go, and they can proselytize. There's a big kind of flow of money. Um, this is seen as a, you know, a really rich opportunity for the growth of, you know, this particular mission field. So statistically, I mean, I think the number of missionaries goes up from something like 50 in mid-century to I don't have the book in front of me, but hundreds and hundreds of missionaries, four or 500 French missionaries and a couple hundred Spanish missionaries. So, you know, from, from 50 to say 700 in the, in the, in less than two generations. And what this means, uh, for the Catholic community is it's really significant. Um, you have many more position, uh, missionaries there's, they're in control of bigger budgets. So they have greater institutional control over things like seminaries and schools. Um, uh, uh, public health institutions, right, social welfare institutions, they're also, um, they have a much more greater influence over religious life, right? So their their conceptions of religious life, what's okay to do, what's not to do, what's orthodox, what's not. Um, uh, you know, this has a, a much greater presence in, you know, especially rural Catholic communities than than ever before. Um, so the, the conflicts you see, you know, are especially um, pronounced between um, Vietnamese priests and French missionaries, because what missionaries are essentially doing is displacing Vietnamese priests from many of their, you know, traditional positions of authority and influence, either whether over institutions or over um, believers, right? So this is a, a huge source of uh, of conflict. And then, of course, some of the broader conflicts of colonial rule come into play as well. The fact that Vietnamese Catholics are now ruled over um, by the French, you know, often very harshly, uh, leads them to view missionaries, um, whether fairly or not, as um, somehow connected to this to this enterprise, right? So this is all kind of um, mixing together to produce some really strong, I guess, kind of racial tensions within the church around the turn of the 20th century.
0: Right. So it's this it, it is it's it's to me, it was amazing. And, and they I mean, part of this conflict, right, the, the number of conversions stagnated, like even though you're getting all these missionaries, right, it doesn't seem to be helping. That's right.
1: Um, and I think this is not, you know, this is not the only example of of that, uh, you know, in the history of the Catholic Church. But um, yeah, that's exactly right. It doesn't really, you know, the huge expansion, institutional mission expansion doesn't really produce conversions. Um, I think a lot of this is due to the the kind of the complicated and tension producing nature of that expansion in general. A lot of it has to do with the much more complex um, and kind of tense uh, role of the Catholic community in Vietnamese society after the, the the colonial conquest, right? Which absolutely, you know, saw the Catholics. Um, you know kind of closely linked to the french navy and the french military during the wars of conquest and you know without a doubt a lot of uh, vietnamese um, viewed the church as kind of connected to um the french conquest in a in a really deep way in a way that i think overstated the reality both of the the influence of catholics in facilitating the conflict or the conquest you know i would say that catholics had you know very ultimately very little influence on the outcome right Um, But also the reasons for Catholic, um, let's say, connections to France during the wars of conquest. But, you know, absolutely all these things I think produce, um, you know, really in a sense, I'm not, I I don't have enough data to really kind of say this conclusively demographically. But I'd say this tentatively is a period where, um, you know, conversion as a kind of a mass process kind of stops and the community becomes essentially kind of self-replicating.
0: So that then brings us to to chapter three, the birth of a national church. The Vatican sees this kind of conflict and it has some concerns. Um, Could you tell us, how does the Vatican then help make this into a national church and why? So the, you
1: know, and maybe this wouldn't have been as big a surprise to someone who had a better training in the history, the modern history of the Catholic Church um, globally. But for me, one of the big surprises of this story was the Vatican and their their role in this process. Um, so, I guess to sort of briefly, um, right after World War One, the Vatican kind of puts into motion um, a, a, a sort of a really a, a process to is what I, what I would describe as nationalized, right? To kind of to build national churches that you know to ultimately make them independent from missionary authority there are a lot of reasons for this. Um, one of them is the, you know, the, the, the really important one is the, is the first world war, right? Um, this, uh, you know, this is something that, uh, I think was the culmination of a, of about 30, 40 years of, of, of really growing tensions between the Vatican and national States in Europe. Um, it was also, I, I, I think, um, you know, a moment when people at the Vatican started to, you know, try to imagine the kind of the future of the church in the 20th century. And I think they really believed that, um, you know, kind of a missionary model um, in, you know, really in Asia and in Africa would not be forever sustainable and that um, much more significant and serious efforts had to be made to essentially place churches in those places in the hands of uh, Asians and Africans, right? Um, a lot of this had to do with, also, I think, stemmed from a, a, a real concern, uh, you know, I would even say a sort of a moral concern um, that people at the Vatican had with um, the kind of outlook and behavior of uh, of some missionaries, right, who had, despite their tensions with, um, you know, with colonial states, had, had largely accepted. A lot of the sort of racial ideas of the time, right? They, these were people who, um, you know, they were missionaries, but they also, they believed in kind of biological racial differences. Um, and a lot of those beliefs kind of seeped into or informed, uh, you know, their relationships with, um, you know, in this case, Vietnamese Catholics. So, you know, there's a real post-war kind of rejection of these ideas in a very explicit way coming out of the Vatican. And, you know, for me, that was you know that was really kind of surprising. Um, you know, my my understanding. You know, later in the interwar period, especially around World War II, you know, familiar with the Vatican's anti-communism and you know their kind of opposition to national liberation movements um, of a leftist character, especially. But um, you know, at the beginning of the interwar period, the Vatican is a very kind of you know almost kind of progressive force, really, really pushing in a very meaningful way for the development of indigenous churches in a way that was often really resisted by, by missionaries.
0: Right. Yeah. So you are saying that they, the, um, the missionaries are react reacting or resisting this. The French colonial officials are, are re- resisting that re- um, well, I'm sorry. So why are MEP missionaries, um, you know, reacting to this negatively? Why, why would they oppose this? Well,
1: that's a good question. And you know, not all of them did, um, Certainly some of them saw this as you know a natural and welcome evolution, but you know you have to appreciate the sort of the enormous cultural and institutional changes that this brought right a, a lot of a lot of them really worried you know i would say with with good intentions they worried that uh the church wouldn't be able to survive this kind of transition um they they really worried that they really believed that you know only Europeans had the kind of expertise and and, and experience um, that was necessary for the church to, you know, survive and to continue to continue to grow in Vietnam. So, you know, a lot of this resistance reflected really kind of deep seated cultural attitudes um, that really just assumed that for the church to really continue to exist, there had to be kind of missionary oversight. so the colonial state was opposed to this for, you know, some very different reasons. Um, one of the kind of aha, eureka documents very early in the research process was um, a document I found in the French foreign, um, foreign ministry archives in Paris. And it was about the, the opposition of the French foreign ministry to the impending um, uh, ordination of uh, the first Vietnamese bishop in 1933. And you, see, you know, French foreign policy officials were, you know, really kind of worrying about this and opposed to, to 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 the change and worried about the symbolic implications of it. And, you know, when I saw this, this was at the very beginning of my research. I thought, now why in the world would they be opposed to something like this? You know, this would seem to be, you know, in some sense, a kind of validation of their civilizing mission, right? A sort of a, a colonial subject rising so high in the hierarchy of the church. But, you know, when I dug into this, and this was the first scholarly article I wrote on this project was about the first Vietnamese bishops, is that um, this change seemed, what it did was it sort of paralleled um, independence, right? It seemed to prove um, that Vietnamese were perfectly capable of heading, in this case, um, the church. You know, if they were capable of doing that, why wouldn't they be capable of running their own country, right? Right. So it had, I would say, ominous and even negative uh, political implications in the eyes of French colonial authorities. And, I, you know, I found that really fascinating. And when I when I read more into it, um, I you know, realized just what an unbelievably important event this was for Vietnamese Catholics, precisely because of the political and cultural implications that it had. Right. It wasn't only about a bishop, uh, a Vietnamese uh, priest becoming a bishop it really symbolized something broader, right, about about um, the kind of the, the sort of atmosphere of anti-colonialism, um, cultural modernization, and, you know, the kind of desire for independence from France. So this was, this change was something that, and I, I can talk a lot about this, but it was something that allowed Vietnamese to relate to these kind of broader cultural forces, uh, precisely because there were such strong parallels between the rise of a national church and the desire for an independent nation, um, which were so powerful in the late colonial era. Well, yeah, a lot of these bishops you're looking at—they are not pro-French. No, no, they're not. Um, they're, um, you know, they're 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 very much, um, yeah, they're 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 not pro-French, right? I mean, they're, they they're they're obviously, you know, deeply connected to. France in a sense that it's such an important part of their kind of education. Um, France is such a, a kind of critical part of the Catholic world, but you know, they're not at all pro colonial, right? A lot of them really believe that, um, you know, empire is something that, uh, you know, that, that should end right. Ultimately. And, you know, they're, they're not, they're not revolutionaries by any means, you know, they're not. And, and, you know, this comes out later in the story, um, but, uh, you know, that doesn't make them pro-colonial in any meaningful sense.
0: Well, I thought it was fascinating that you pointed out that they are, um, at times, they see the French colonial state as the enemy of the faith. That's right. That's right.
1: And they had, you know, they had some real kind of material and, and empirical reasons for for thinking this. You know, again, the history of this of this period does see some, you know, some pretty regular and serious opposition um on the part of French administrators to the expansion of Catholic missions. So, um, you know, they have perfectly real reasons for, um, religious reasons for opposing colonialism. Right. And then of course, another really important reason that, that, um, they're critical of colonialism is the opposition of the colonial state to the development of a national church, which was really, I think as, as far as the, you know, the bishops go, you know, something that they obviously believed in, you know, maybe more than anything. And they, this is something that they really committed their, their lives to, right? to to building a Vietnamese church.
0: And an important aspect of building a Vietnamese church was uh, print media, which you give a whole chapter to. That's right. So I, I wonder then if you could tell us what role did print media play traditionally in Vietnamese Catholic life and what new developments marked the colonial period? So,
1: you know, like most of uh, Vietnamese society in the pre-colonial period, literacy was relatively limited and it was closely tied to, You know, kind of East Asian tradition, um, kind of traditional education um, in characters, mostly, Um, you know, people who were educated typically were, you know, from a a fairly elite slice of society. You know, most Catholic, uh, Vietnamese Catholic priests in the pre-colonial period were were literate, uh, but very few of the laity Uh, were. Uh, I mean, we couldn't give a number, but so the colonial period is, is, um, sees the rise of in Vietnam. It's a really important transition, the emergence of a Romanized script to write, um, Vietnamese. And this actually has Catholic origins. It emerged first as a, basically as a system to teach missionaries how to pronounce the Vietnamese vernacular. So it's written with a Romanized alphabet and it's a lot easier for obviously for Europeans to learn. Um, and it, it, it kind of evolved as a uh, Vietnamese uh, formal uh, Vietnamese Catholic written system in the 17th and 18th centuries, 19th century um, in the colonial period, the French colonial state ultimately um, start to kind of cultivate this and support it and to build it into their administration and educational system. And Vietnamese modernizing intellectuals too start to kind of grab onto this. It's, it's kind of a long and complicated history of that, that script, but the, you know, the, the outcome is, is for Catholics and like for everybody else, the rise of Romanization, new printing technology um, leads to a rise in literacy. Um, you know, and I, I, I view print media like a lot of other people. I'm really heavily influenced by Benedict Anderson's um, imagined communities and the, the importance of print media and print capitalism and uh, literacy on politics and modern identity. So um, that chapter really is kind of, You know, sort of rooted on that idea, right? And I guess one of the big um, takeaways of the chapter is that print media plays a really important part, a role in kind of connecting Vietnamese Catholics, right? The importance of a newspaper as a kind of, um, uh, you know, national space, right? In this case, a national religious space in which, um, you know, Catholics from different parts of the country with no previous contact to one another are kind of you know reading the same stuff and kind of participating in a sense in the in the same community um so that's uh i think one of the big kind of points of that of that chapter
0: what what kind of um you know what sort of things are they reading that can either support um you know their their faith or um or colonial rule or that challenge those things
1: well so this is uh So the rise of a a Vietnamese Catholic print sphere is happening precisely um, during kind of the the, the Vatican's push to nationalize the Vietnamese church, really the 1920s and 1930s. And the the two processes are really inextricably linked. In fact, the Vatican pushes for, um, you know, the expansion of a Vietnamese um, Catholic newspaper sphere. Right. So Catholic newspapers written in Vietnamese for a Vietnamese audience. So not surprisingly, a lot of the content in these newspapers um, is – kind of focuses on that. Um, It it focuses on um, kind of international Catholic issues and questions. Um, You know, it's translating a lot of stuff from the Vatican um, into Vietnamese, whether it's, you know, encyclicals on, um, you know, trying to – on the promotion and development of a national church or, you know, other kind of Vatican statements. Um, uh, written work um, in European languages translated into Vietnamese on, on these issues. So um, it's a very kind of cosmopolitan, um, kind of almost kind of global print sphere uh, in the Vietnamese language that that arises at this time. So um, it really gives Vietnamese Catholic access to. I mean, it's really the principal vehicle for how they come to you know learn about and understand. Um, these changes, global changes in, in Catholic life and, and to kind of debate them and even participate in them, right? It's also a way for Vietnamese Catholics to begin to write themselves about things going on, you know, in their church. Now, obviously they were doing this before, but these kind of Vietnamese Catholic writings about Vietnamese Catholic issues are, are now spread much more broadly to a much more um, literate audience, right? So it is um, a kind of really, really crucial uh, vehicle in the development of a kind of a broader national religious consciousness, if I could put it that way.
0: Well, that, that makes perfect sense. And and I really, um, I, I really got a lot out of this chapter because it was making me think about what was going on in, in Korea at a, a similar time. Cause the Catholics there were really trying, but they were in a, in a much weaker position, mm-hmm. um, uh, than the Vietnamese. But this was, was especially fascinating was how, um, especially how skilled at French, right. Um, these uh these catholics became because you didn't you didn't so much have that in in korea which made it difficult for them to take part in these broader discussions Mm
1: -hmm. yeah so some some of them were absolutely quite uh you know quite skilled in french and um but uh you know a lot of this is also happening really i would say principally in you know in, in in vietnamese um so yeah it is a it is a it is really a fascinating evolution
0: So um, that acts as kind of a a segue, kind of talking about now we have a national church born. Um, We talk about, you know, then this is chapter how print is transforming and shaping that church. Mm -hmm. And in chapter five, you have um, you discuss what's called is called a national church experience. Right. So I guess uh, kind of my question. I mean, this is still a church under colonial rule. So what do you mean by national church?
1: So I guess what I mean uh, is. Culturally national, right? So obviously the country is still under colonial rule. Um, institutionally, the, the the Vietnamese Catholic Church is not yet independent from missionary authority. That doesn't happen until the post colonial period. But I guess my argument in this chapter is that uh, you know, as is is, is often the case um, in in colonial contexts, a kind of a a, a cultural nationalism or a, a kind of sense of uh, a cultural sense or a cultural experience of nationalism precedes actually, um, you know, independence, right, uh, sort of formal nationalism, if, if you will, right. So what I mean by a national church, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of developing that in the earlier chapter. So you get the sort of this, the institutional seeds of this process through the bishops, um, you get the kind of um, cultural vehicles of this process in, in print. Um, and then in chapter five, you know, I, I look more closely at, you know, essentially lay Catholic experiences that I would argue contributed to a sort of a nationwide Catholic identity, right? So the idea that, you know, you're uh, a Catholic in this place, but you're not only a Catholic from a, you know, a particular region or a particular diocese, um, but you know, a really strong sense of kind of, uh, kind of even almost kind of ethnic racial um, nationalism and, and its overlaps with, with the religious community, if you see, right? So the idea of, of kind of being Vietnamese and Catholic. Right, so what are some of these vehicles? Um, things like um, well, I think there's the associational um, networks, which really expand in the colonial period. Um, so, kind of Vietnamese Catholic associations that exist across Vietnam, across the, the three different parts of uh, Vietnamese parts of French Indochina. Um, you know, I write about uh, pilgrimage in this chapter. Um, there's a, a really important Vietnamese Catholic pr- pilgrimage located, basically, roughly in the center of the country. Um, you know, it's, it's surrounding the, uh, Marian apparition in, in 1798. Uh, but it's really for the first time that this pilgrimage becomes a kind of a national process, right? So uh, Catholics from all over Vietnam are making this pilgrimage to this, you know, unfamiliar place. They're meeting Catholics from across the country. You know, they're participating in these kind of nationwide kind of events and festivals. They're reading about this in, in newspapers. So it's a kind of a, it's something that becomes a kind of national cultural event, um, at this time. There are also international Catholic festivals that start to happen, um, uh, in, in Vietnam at this time. So kind of, you know, international festivals of the Eucharist and that sort of thing. Um, so this is a, you know, kind of, uh, basically the argument is that awareness of these things, participation in these events, um, cultivates a kind of a national consciousness in a way that didn't really exist before. I think the other thing that I discuss in that chapter is migration. Um, there is a lot more migration in the colonial period than, than before people are moving, um, you know, as a result of colonial economic change and new infrastructural developments, things like trains and roads and those sorts of things. So mobility is greater in the colonial period and this too affects Catholics and this too contributes to, um, what I would say is an increasingly powerful kind of awareness of a national religious identity. Now it's not um, like in any other context, something that, you know, sort of mechanically displaces other older pre-existing identities. You know, we see this a lot um, after the partition where you have um, a mass migration of Catholics from North to North to South and some, you know, real tensions within the community um, surrounding, um, you know, sort of, uh, I would say regional religious cultures, right? But, but in a very important sense, this is what I would describe as the kind of the birth of a, of a national religious consciousness through these kinds of changes like pilgrimage uh, associations, migration, print, um, and the like.
0: Well, that then brings us into the next chapter because you've shown how you now have a national church in chapter five in chapter six, the culture and politics of Vietnamese Catholic nationalism we now talk about how this national church is becoming more nationalistic. Right. So, this is. But that. Means, oh, no, sorry. go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I was just going to say, so how is though is this relationship between these two categories complex? But please go ahead and finish your yeah, thought. Was, I was actually to...
1: just that, that, that's what I was going to speak to. And it, it is really complicated, right? So, on the one hand, on the Catholic side of things, you have um, this idea of being a Vietnamese Catholic, right, is, is more powerful. Um, accompanying, com, accompanying with this is the the idea that um, uh, a sort of a, a burgeoning desire for not only religious independence but I would say also national independence, political independence, right? Sort of a growing sense that colonialism is uh, you, you know should 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 end, right? Um, so there are similar things going on in in. Vietnamese society more broadly at this time. And what's complex about it is that, you know, many, if not most other Vietnamese share this idea, this desire for national independence, right? But what's interesting is that precisely the same kinds of processes that are giving rise to a kind of a cultural Catholic nationalism, um, you know, this is one of the basic arguments about nationalism and and modernity, right? Um, Things like print and mobility. And, you know, again, Benedict Anderson is a a big influence uh, on me. You know, what is, where does national consciousness come from? It's not some sort of atavistic kind of um, pre-existing thing. It's the result of, of, of modernity, right? So the same kind of things are going on in Vietnam more broadly. But that process in Vietnamese society is giving rise to an idea of what Vietnamese-ness is. What is it? What does it mean to be Vietnamese culturally speaking? And many important dimensions of this exclude Catholicism. Right? Because they're seeking for the origins or the kind of true nature of what it means to be Vietnamese. Um, and very often, you know, without being explicitly anti Catholic, you know, they're associating Vietnamese-ness with things like, you know, Asian traditions like Confucianism, Confucianism and, and Buddhism, um, uh, ancestral worship. You know, so there are, there are things that, um, are, they're increasingly kind of clear lines culturally being drawn that didn't necessarily exist beforehand in in the same kind of way right so it's it's a it's a kind of an irony that as vietnamese catholics are becoming more sort of national and nationalistic um there are also going to lines being drawn between them and other vietnamese that didn't necessarily exist in the same kind of way before if, if that makes sense
0: no that makes that makes perfect sense um and that it, it becomes such a tricky issue. Uh, I know that in, this happens all the time in, in issues of Korean national identity, especially in the late 19th, early 20th century. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have then that Catholics are trying to insert themselves into this national story, make sure that they are considered a part of it. At the same time, they're under global influences like Catholic action. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what this is and what role it played in Vietnam.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, this the second half of the chapter... Um, starts to, to try to make sense of some of the political um, ideas and choices that Catholics made during and after the Vietnamese Revolution. So Catholic Action um, was basically a sort of, a, you know, basically a, a kind of a, a papal movement to increase the participation of the laity, Catholic laity globally um, in the church right it was in many ways a kind of a reaction to the rise of mass politics uh, especially in europe um and these kind of mass political movements obviously most most um worrisome were those on the left um and their structures right so it was a kind of response to that in a sense you know get get the lady much more actively involved and get them to be involved in things that um you know, and the same kinds of things that were drawing so many people toward mass politics I- I- in Europe, right? So really a much more closer awareness and involvement in social issues, right? Questions of, um, you know, especially of, of kind of poverty, the kind of uh, disruptive effects and consequences of industrial life, right? All these kinds of things were things that Catholic action tried to to address and to get, to get the Catholic laity um, to be much more involved in. So this, like you know many other things in European Catholic life, spread to Vietnam at the time. So it was definitely a major engine for mobilization. Um, I actually discussed these Catholic action in the previous chapter as one of these many forces creating uh, a, a sort of a national consciousness and national networks within Vietnam um, among Catholics. In this chapter, I, I discuss its political dimensions more explicitly. And basically, and this gets to um, uh, you know another question. Um, two kind of new and important political idioms in Vietnamese Catholic life in the late colonial period, really in the 1930s. Um, one of one being a kind of a you know left left leaning social Catholicism, right, which was you know uh, I would say anti communist, but you know n- not anti-leftist at all, some really clear sympathies with kind of mainstream um, European socialism, and certainly concerned with the same kind of issues, you know, questions of, of poverty, um, of social inequality, of, you know, again, the kind of disruptive effects of industrial life. I mean, this is something that's going on in, in Europe as well. Obviously, the left and the Catholic Church are not incompatible at all, right? So in a colonial context, what's interesting to me is that this gives rise to you know, an important um, kind of political idea in Vietnamese Catholic life that is, you know, not at all opposed to, um, and in some cases quite supportive of left-leaning anti-colonial movements at, in, in the late colonial period, right? So, you know, to answer the question, um, you know, how and why and in what ways could Vietnamese Catholics find themselves participating in a you know, sort of communist led revolution in and after 1945. I think this is a really important answer to that question. And that in the 1930s, really during the Great Depression, there arises in Vietnam a, a kind of, um, a, a Catholic language of the left, if you will, right? And this, I think, really shapes a lot of Catholics' response to an understanding of the Vietnamese revolution, at least initially, right? So that's one side. And then the other side is, is anti-communism. And I mentioned this at the beginning of the interview that, um, you know, ultimately many, if not most Catholics, become quite opposed to a communist revolution in Vietnam. And here, too, you know, the origins of this are not only in the revolutionary period. They're in the colonial period. And they stem from a lot of the things that we've been talking about, um, most specifically a kind of a, a global Catholic consciousness, and there is a global Catholic anti-communism that emerges in the interwar period um, along with communism, right? And um, Vietnamese Catholics, like uh, Catholics anywhere else, are aware of growing tensions between um, communist movements and the church. They're aware of, you know, the sort of the highly critical view that um, many communist movements have of organized religion in general and Catholicism in particular – and, you know, they're very aware of this and they're aware of the rising influence of communism in anti-colonial politics in Vietnam. So and this is, you know, so simultaneously where the kind of a sympathy for some leftist ideas and orientations, uh, you know, some Vietnamese Catholics are becoming increasingly nervous about and um, opposed to communism um, in a way that, uh, you know, also informs their political uh thinking and and behavior after the revolution in 1945. So, you know, it's not contradictory, right? They're, they're, um, uh, they're happening at the same time. Um, A, the rise of a kind of leftist political orientation and the rise of, of anti-communism are, are um,
0: simultaneous
1: really in Vietnamese Catholic life.
0: So excellent. So, and then there you're kind of talking in in chapter six about this kind of, um, this general kind of concern Um, about about the poverty in vietnam um it's attracting communism but also attracting things like catholic action Mm -hmm. in chapter seven you then um you take the story forward a little bit more you focus more a little bit more on the politics could you tell us a little about what's happening between 1940 and 1954 and how catholics are reacting to it absolutely um so
1: during world war ii uh the Japanese occupy French Indochina, and, and they essentially push the French out of power. You know, for all Vietnamese, this is a, a major moment. Um, it, it, it's the displacement of colonial rule. Um, it's it's a it's a clear sign that you know colonial rule is potentially about to end. It's an important kind of nationalist moment. It's also a moment of you know severe hardship, uh, like for most parts of Japanese-occupied Asia, um, that has a kind of radical effect on on culture and, and, and politics. Um, you know the big, uh, the big event obviously here is is the Vietnamese Revolution in 1945, which essentially happens in the political vacuum left by the Japanese when they when they withdraw from Indochina in that that summer. Um, and the Vietnamese Revolution is an enormously complicated subject. Um, without trying, you know, without being able to do real justice to its complexity, I, I would put it this way. Um, the Vietnamese communist movement that eventually comes to control, um, the Vietnamese revolution, um, during the war of decolonization with France, which goes until 1954 in 1945. That's, they are, you know, one among many political forces, you know, vying for influence in and control over an independent Vietnamese state. Um, during the period from 45 to 54, Vietnamese communism gradually consolidates its, its influence and control over that revolutionary movement. And, you know, in in doing so, you know, largely because of the revolution in China, um, it also becomes more radical, um, at least explicitly and visibly, um, you know, in its kind of ideas towards governance. So basically over this nine year period from 1945 to 1954, you have a a communist movement that is increasingly kind of powerful and controlling of revolutionary politics and increasingly um, radical in its approach to uh, other political movements and political ideas. So the history of uh, the Catholic church in Vietnam during the revolution is in large part a kind of a function of that. Initially, virtually all Catholics in 1945 are ecstatic at the fact of independence. Um, You know, some very prominent Catholics participate in the revolutionary government. Um, There is, you know, mass support for independence from France and for for the revolutionary government um, in in 1945. So, you know, if, if you ever, anybody needed evidence or proof that Vietnamese Catholics were not pro-colonial this this is it you know the kind of mass outpouring of enthusiasm in 1945 for independence um you know over the next nine years uh the relationship between the vietnamese catholic church and the and the communist uh, vietnamese communist party becomes much more complicated um and this you know it's a complicated story it's in large part due to the growing hostility of vietnamese communists toward catholics like toward many other religious movements or political movements for that matter it also has to do with um you know, with the Cold War and uh, the kind of revitalization of anti-communism at the Vatican um, in the late 1940s. Um, But, you know, mostly it's a function of the Vietnamese Revolution on the ground. Um, So, as the French become involved and really sort of lead a war to try to, um, uh, you know, basically in in opposition to uh, the Vietnamese Communist Revolution, Catholics become, you know, once again kind of aligned with that effort, now here too, like with the conquest, the idea is not to support a reconquest of of Vietnam, and and really by 1949 or so, the French are really fighting to to put in an anti-communist Vietnamese government in place. You know, the idea of taking the colony back is not really on the table anymore. So Catholics um, over the course of that war become you know pretty clearly aligned with um, anti-communist political forces in Vietnam, and these are the political forces that ultimately become um, uh, come to power in the southern part of Vietnam after the partition of the country in, in 1954 by uh, diplomatic agreement. So by the end, I guess, to, to sort of sum up, by the end of that war of decolonization, um, Catholics have become, you know, pretty clearly anti-communist, you know, for a number of reasons.
0: And then, um, In the South, you have the rise to power of a Catholic. How how do Catholics react to that? You know, well,
1: most of them are, you know, really quite, uh, quite happy, of course, to see a a Catholic come to power in, um, uh, you know, in in Vietnam. So yeah, so in 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 1954, you know, there's this um, the partition of the country. um, You know, it's largely a kind of a great power decision. You know, the U.S. put pressure to divide the country, uh, puts pressure to divide Vietnam in two, and to put some anti-communist political forces in power in the south so that's what happens um, um, the rise of Moding zm is also a really fascinating story here i could give a plug to my good friend ed miller's book misalliance which came out um which is about Moding Zim and his regime which came out uh, you know half a year after minded with harvard university press it's a really terrific book um but yeah you know so Moding zm um He he's Catholic, but he's lots of other things, too. He has a kind of a very um, uh, complicated political vision for the country. Um, He's strongly anti-communist. So, you know, most Catholics are very, very supportive of the ZM regime. Not all of them, though. Um, His regime um, becomes increasingly kind of authoritarian and repressive um, in the late 50s and early 60s. You know, some Catholics uh, grow kind of opposed to that. Again, I think, uh, you know, the link between that and some of the sort of 1930s leftist and left-leaning Catholicism exists there. Um, So, you know, Catholics like anybody else, you know, they live under the ZM regime. And, you know, while they they certainly do benefit from some, say, pro-Catholic policies, um, it's not a Catholic regime, right? Um, So, uh, you know, inevitably, um, you know, some of the kinds of things that make other... South Vietnamese opposed to the Siem regime, Catholics start to have, um, you know, this uh, sort of similarly complex relationship to the, uh, the regimes in power in the South. Um, the other important one, led by a guy named Nguyen Van Thieu, um, it was, he was also uh, Catholic. That's um, sort of another story, in a sense, that, um, you know, the story of Catholicism um, in South Vietnam, well, or in North Vietnam, for that matter, during the wars, is, is really a story that still has to be written. Um, where the book ends really is, is, is at that point in 1954. what it, what it tries to do is to um, suggest that some of the complexities and the sort of internal diversity and internal tensions of the Catholic community that I try to try to make clear in my book, I I think are are essential to understanding post-colonial Catholic history in Vietnam. Right. So you can have Catholics who were, you know, for, Uh, their own reasons, legitimately committed to the communist revolution. Um, You know, you had others who, you know, obviously were not, but were quite opposed for their own reasons to anti-communist regimes in the South. Um, uh, The point is, is that it's an, it's an incredibly complex story that's kind of really poorly understood still. So, you know, my hope is that at some point somebody can, uh, you know, pick up where I left off once sources become uh, more available in Vietnam. It's a little harder to research post-54 history in Vietnam, but it's becoming a little more manageable. So um, some people have started to do this. Uh, there is uh, a guy named Peter Hansen who wrote a great thesis on the migration of Catholics from north to south in 54. Um other scholars working on the period of the the Vietnam War between 1954 and 1975, roughly. So, you know, I think that in the next, uh, probably the next 10 years or so, there's going to be a much better literature on this than currently exists.
0: Oh, excellent. Well, we've, you've given us a fascinating tour of your book. Um, There's a lot of, uh, for our listeners, there's a lot of details uh, that, of course, we can't go into in an interview. So I hope you will pick up and uh, read this book. Um, but we've taken a lot of your time. But I, I'd like to take a little bit more of your time just to ask our traditional question: mm-hmm. uh, What are you working on now? Well, um, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but I, you know, I am. I
1: moved away from um, from the history of Catholicism in Vietnam. I, I do feel like I sort of said what I have to say about it. Um, this project, you know, again, as I said, it sort of started out. My interest was really in my formation is really in Vietnamese history, right? Not in the history of Catholicism. So um, my interest remains kind of modern Vietnamese history. Um, So I've I've kind of shifted to another, I think, important and, you know, poorly understood dimension of that, which is the relationship between, well, between um, metropolitan France and Vietnamese society. So specifically the experiences of Vietnamese in France. During the colonial period, there were all these networks that um, kind of pulled Vietnamese into France um, and usually back again during the colonial era, whether they were political networks or educational networks, cultural kind of literary networks, labor networks. So there's this huge kind of movement of Vietnamese to France and then back the world wars and obviously soldiers who went to France to fight. So, you know, the, the basic question that I have is what was the importance of actual experiences in metropolitan France for Vietnamese society and culture at this time? Um, you know, and how did this shape a kind of Vietnamese modernity for, for a lack of a better word. So what I'm working on is this kind of process of mostly circular migration from Vietnam to France and back and the experiences of Vietnamese in France and, you know, why that, why that mattered. So, um, there is a, you know, there is a Catholic dimension to this. Uh, it's a small one, but uh, it'll be in there. So I'm not leaving entirely. Um, uh, you know, my my interest in the work that I've done on this behind. But uh, I'm definitely shifting gears quite quite significantly.
0: That sounds like a fascinating study, and I, I I'm looking forward to it coming out. Well, me too. Yeah, <laughs> for a while. But uh, but
1: it's it's been fun to work on. I'm kind of in the thick of it now, and I'm I'm enjoying it.
0: Oh, excellent. Well, thank you again so much for your time. My pleasure. And uh, thank you to our listeners for hearing in. My
1: pleasure. I really appreciate (laughs) you having me on and, you know, giving my book all this attention. It's really gratifying.
0: Well, it certainly deserves the attention. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Christian Studies channel of the New Books Network. I'm Dr. Franklin Rausch of Lander University, the host of the channel. I want to thank you for listening to this interview, and I hope you'll come back and listen to another one again soon.